So OSI wanted to make sure that none of this stuff was being tracked because OSI works above the chain of command. That's the purpose of them. And so they can do these investigations above the chain of command, above the three-star general, and they don't want all these academy leaders finding about the investigations against their own cadets, never mind their own football team. So if you look at it from that perspective, they are doing the right thing. They are trying to go after criminal action at the academies. They're trying to prevent these kids from commissioning. But what they didn't know later on, which is things I failed to discuss in previous podcasts because I didn't want to piss off the grad community, is that football is a giant moneymaker at the academy. They make more money off of football than anything else. And when you start going after the money, that's when things start happening, right? Doesn't dinner sound great as it's cooking? This dinner is from Riverbend Ranch, which always provides prime or high choice, has never been given hormones, never been given antibiotics, never been given mRNA vaccines. It's raised in the USA. It's processed in the USA. In fact, it's fully vertically integrated, which means that they own the cow that gives birth to the calf. It's raised on their fields and then taken to their butcher and then shipped to you. And if we compare what we can buy from Riverbend Ranch to four other major state companies that sell bundles that have ribeyes and other meat in it, it can be as much as $184 to $59 less expensive. It's a great price value and it's a delicious piece of meat check out mycleanbeef.com slash after hours that's mycleanbeef.com slash after hours mycleanbeef.com slash after hours Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigaloff. On this podcast, you will be encouraged to question everything and to have the courage to stand for the truth. And now, to your host, Dr. Sigaloff. Hey, well, thanks for joining me again. I first want to give a shout out to all of my Patreon supporters. We've got Tuff, who's made a $30 level. We've got an anonymous family donor giving $20.20 a month. We have the Plandemic Reprimando at $17.76 a month with Ty, Charles, Tinfoil, Dr. Anna, Frank, Brian, Shell, and Brantley. We have Kevin Alanos giving $10 and Pat and Bev also giving $10. We have the Refined Not Burned at $5 a month with Linda, Emmy, Joe, PJ, Rebecca, Marcus, Elizabeth, Don, Ken, Rick, Mary, and Amanda. We have Addison Mulder giving $3 a month, Frank giving $1.50 a month, and then Courage is Contagious giving $1 a month with Jay, Spesnasty, Darrell, Susan, BB King, and Caleb. Thank you so much for all of your support. I truly appreciate it. And remember, uh, go check out mycleanbeef.com slash after hours. That's mycleanbeef.com slash after hours for some of the best beef you've ever had in your life. So I want to introduce my next guest. We have a very special man here, and and don't be confused. He he may only be a specialist, but he probably should be a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force right now. Adam Dorito. Adam, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, Sam. Thanks for welcoming me on the show. I really appreciate you bringing me on. It's, uh, it's a pleasure that we were able to connect over all these things. Yeah, so we were talking beforehand, and I, I could try and do an introduction. I would not give you d- justice, so I want you to kind of 
tell us your story. Tell us because you know some people may see you in uniform and be like, "What? What is a specialist with this? All these, all these ribbons and all that? What? What's your story and what's going on and what has the military done to you that's just egregious beyond egregious and how you're fighting back?" Sure. Uh, thanks for the introduction. You know, like I said, I, I don't think I'm anybody special. I literally was just somebody who I was 18 years old, and I have always wanted to join the military since I was 12. And it was my objective to go to the Air Force Academy at a very young age. So since elementary school in sixth grade, I could even go back to my yearbook now in Mrs. Kissack's class in West Milford, New Jersey, and it says, become an aeronautical engineer at the Air Force Academy. And she's like, man, you have a, you have a pretty thought out plan at 12 years old. I'm like, well, you know, I make plans and I follow through with them. Granted, I didn't become an engineer at the Academy because that shit's hard and I failed Calc 3, but that's a different story. Um, but yeah, so I went to the Air Force Academy uh, from the class of 2010. Uh, so I joined the military because of 9-11. And I lost family in the towers, 92nd floor of Cantor Fitzgerald. Uh, my cousin, Michael McHugh, was killed uh, in the terrorist attacks. And being from West Milford, New Jersey, you could see the towers burning from my hometown, right? So it had, it had a definite significant impact on me, I think a little bit different than people who didn't grow up on the East Coast. And, you know, being born in New York and being raised in New Jersey, you just kind of have this, you know, I'm gonna go get these guys kind of attitude and, you know, the whole Tony Soprano mentality of how Jersey people work. So it's one of those interesting situations, though, because my mom used to always say these things like, you know, be careful what you wish for. And, you know, well, she was right. So I, I go to the Air Force Academy my first year, and I thought it was just going to be full of people that were just like me. You know, I grew up in a poor blue collar family, worked for everything in my life, mowing lawns at 10 bucks, uh, 10 bucks for every lawn I mowed. And my dad taught me how to work on cars. And uh, I was in the Silver Air Patrol as a kid from like 12 to 18 years old as in the Air Force Auxiliary doing like search and rescue training and humanitarian assistance. And we did some of the 9-11 recovery stuff when I was like, you know, a young kid, like 14, 15 years old. So when I go to the academy, though, I, I realize that there's a very small population that is comes from the similar background as me. Most of these kids who go to the academy are, you know, kids of graduates or, you know, their daddy's friend is a general and wrote him a letter or their personal friends with the senators and the congressmen. So when I went there, it was just a different mentality. I, I thought I was going to go through like this hardcore boot camp and like run around with guns and all these other things. And I think some of my experiences in the Civil War Patrol were actually harder <laughs> than when I showed up at the Air Force Academy. We didn't even shoot guns. I think we shot guns once at this thing called CADM. Uh, and they were just like, take 40 rounds and shoot them down range. I'm like, don't we have to hit a target? They're like, no, just take 40 rounds and shoot them down range. I'm like, wait, yeah, don't you have to? like, no, this is the air force. We don't, we don't hit targets with guns. This is not your job. I'm like, okay. So that was, that was a rude awakening going to air force Academy, basic training. And I, I laugh at some of the graduates who look back on, Oh, that was such a hard experience. So I'm like, did you ever go outside and play in the woods when you were a kid? You know, like building a tree house was harder than this. So I quickly realized that, you know, my parents were always like, if you want to go to college, you have to pay for it yourself. You know, we had no money to send you to college. So I didn't quit the academy because I wanted to stick it out. And I could have gone to West Point. I could have gone to Annapolis. I could have gone to any single of these service academies that I wanted. But I was really close to Annapolis and West Point. I was only like a 45-minute drive from West Point, five-hour drive from Annapolis. I thought I wanted to go out west because I wanted a completely different experience. I wanted to get out of my hometown, get away from everyone I grew up with, and just start over. And that was... Seemed like a good idea at the time, right? But I look back on it now and I'm like, man, I should have went to West Point because I ended up in the Army anyway. Or the Naval Academy because I ended up cross-commissioning into the Marines technically, right? So 
Uh, and plus, I would have had much more of a support group because when you go to the academies, when you have your weekends off, sometimes they let you leave or you go to see your sponsor family, which is a family they assign you if you're an out-of-state cadet. So I didn't really have a lot of friends at the academy my first couple years, and you know I was kind of a, you know on my own, you know, and being a New Jersey person, you know, some people don't take kindly to your your attitude and how you talk all the time. I had to learn how to get over that, become more westernized and be more Midwest polite. You know, you can't just tell people to go fuck off. Apparently, they don't like that, but you know, whatever. Um, so there's a gentleman's rule at these academies where, I, and for people who are applying to the academies or don't know this. If you go to any Federal Service Academy, so that is West Point, Annapolis, Air Force, or Merchant Marine, you can actually commission into any branch of service that you want. But there's a gentleman's agreement that if you go to Air Force, you stay Air Force slash Space Force now. If you go to West Point, you stay Army and blah, 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 blah. So I found out that there's a cross-commissioning process at the Air Force Academy. So I applied to go to the Marines. Uh, a lot of my friends from high school went to the Marines in the Army, and they were in the Korngal Valley, and they're in fucking Iraq in 05 and through 07 and 08. And they're like, you're missing out on all the fun, man, depending on your definition of fun at the time. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to go to the Marines. Uh, I want to go fly for the Marines or go be an infantry officer or something. So I, I applied. I actually passed the aviation exam. So the cool thing was is I had a pilot slot in the Marine Corps to be a naval aviator. I did not have a pilot slot in the Air Force because uh, I was ranked low in my class because, you know, was I the best cadet? No. Uh, like I said, things I should have gotten kicked out for that I didn't was uh, water balloon launcher and Capri Suns attacking the upperclassmen for not letting us leave over the weekend. Hilarious at the time. Stupid looking back on it now. Um, so <clears throat> because, because of my experiences at the academy, like I was always getting my dick stepped on. Like my commanders were like, you're not leaving this weekend. You're not going anywhere. You're staying here. So basically I went to prison for four years at the Air Force Academy. I never left. I didn't get to go skiing. You know, I didn't get to live the South Park life in Colorado. I pretty much stayed on base, never left and never went anywhere. And this is kind of how my story starts is because uh, I broke up with my high school girlfriend at the time. I was like 19. And me and, you know, online dating was like a new thing at the academy, right? Uh, the internet was kind of a thing. Facebook didn't really even exist then, which is crazy. Like, we didn't have smartphones. There's no apps, none of this stuff. So me and a couple of the guys in the squad who always got restricted, as we called it on the weekends, like, we'd be on this, like, I don't even remember what the name of the dating website was. It's probably like match.com or something stupid like that. And we were, like, looking for girls at, like, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, and uh, so I was talking to like random women. I no, I never met these people all through email, like no phone calls, no nothing, right? But they're like, hey, you want to want to go out on a date and meet us up with us this weekend? I'm like, yeah. So I can't leave. <laughs> they're like, what do you mean you can't leave? And I'm like, yeah, I'm restricted. So obviously, none of these things ever panned out, right? So I go home for Christmas, and I think it was like 2007, and I come back in like January, February 2008. And my commander, who absolutely couldn't stand me, like calls me into his office and he's like, hey, so you need to go talk to Air Force OSI. I'm like, what the hell is Air Force OSI? And like, it's the Office of Special Investigations. Now, for anyone who doesn't know who Air Force OSI is, they're basically like the NCIS uh, for the Air Force or the FBI, you know, for the Air Force. So I go down there. And to be, to be fair, I've always had positive experiences with law enforcement. Uh, in New Jersey, I was a volunteer firefighter and EMT. So... Uh, I grew up working with EMS uh, and the fireside and, and the police all the time. So I, I didn't have an issue talking with cops. I never had a bad interaction with them. So they, it's like a classic. They drag me into this room and I sit there and it's like one metal chair with like two other metal chairs and a desk and a mirrored room. 
and I'm sitting there, and I have no idea why I'm sitting there. I'm after class. I had to miss rugby practice. I have a test the next day. And they come in, they're like, hey, is this your email address? I was like, yeah. And I was like, some stupid like civilian email address. It was like Falcon2000 or something like that, at, like hotmail.com. And I should have asked the question, like, first of all, how'd you guys even have these emails? Like, you know, I'm, I'm stupid. Like, I'm 19. I have no idea what's going on. No lawyer, no nothing. And they're like, well, were you, were you talking to this individual on this, on this dating website? And I look at the message and I'm like, uh, sure. Yeah, that looks like the transcript. And like, do you have, did you know that they were under the age of 18? And I'm like, no. How the fuck was I supposed to know that? Like, this is email only on a dating website where you could be whoever the hell you wanted, apparently. And this is like during the eras of like Chris Hansen to catch a predator. So like, I guess it was like a big thing back then. And like, oh, so you didn't know. I'm like, no, I have no idea who this person was. I never met them in person, never talked to them on the phone, all strictly email. And they said, okay, well, you're, you did nothing wrong. I'm like, yeah, I know. And then I asked, is, is this the point where I asked to get a lawyer? Because I don't know where this is going. Like, oh, no, 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 you don't need a lawyer. You don't need anything. And they're like, but ironically, we have a lot of this stuff going on at the academy. So, you know, you seem like a pretty good guy. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, you were, you were an EMT. You were, you were a firefighter. And I see that you, you've applied to cross commission to the Marine Corps. So you don't even want to be in the Air Force anymore. And I'm like, no, I don't. Like, I don't like this place. And I don't like the people I go to school with, <laughs> you know? And they're like, you know, so like, how would you like to work for us? Like, how would you like to take down some of these Air Force cadets? Like, trying to meet minors and all these other things. I'm like, which I didn't even know was a thing. You know, you, you go to the academy, you figure like you're an upstanding individual and you have to pass all these tests and examinations. And I didn't know that the issue at the academy for sexual assault and harassment was this bad. So I said, yeah, sure. So they basically had me work as an undercover informant. So I worked for them for two years as an undercover informant from 2008 to 2010. And I mean, some of the stuff that we were uncovering between cadets was absolutely insane. And basically, to be fair, I was just an information point. Like I talked to people who were going to parties, who was giving out the drugs, who was, you know, trafficking the spice, which is an illegal hallucinogen back then that became more prominent years later. Uh, there was an incident with like cocaine and underage drinking. And a lot of this had to do with the football team. So this became known as Operation Gridiron, where OSI formulated this plan to go after all these red shirt kids on the NCAA Division One football team. And the red shirt guys were recruited specifically to play football and they go to something called the Air Force Academy prep school prior to that. So they do five years at the academy instead of four. Now I was a direct entry guy. I was only a four-year guy. I didn't get recruited to play sports. I had high enough SAT scores and SAT, uh, ACT scores to get directly in. So I was very unfamiliar with Division One sports and how that all worked because I was a rugby player. So I played a club sport. I, I didn't go to the academy to play sports. I, I went to the academy to become an officer and be a pilot. So I didn't really like the NCAA kids because they always got out of formation. They always got out of, all the, out of all these things anyway. So I had no problem writing up my reports and sending them to OSI. But the problem was is that I could never leave my room or do any of these things. And we had to keep everything on the low ball. So I had like a burner phone <laughs> that I used to communicate with OSI with. And I would print out all my MFRs that I'd type up. And they were just my evidence. Like I talked to this cadet about this party last weekend possibly involved in sexual assault, and they got the alcohol from Cadet X, blah, 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 blah. And I print these out, I put them in a manila folder, and I tell my commander, hey, I'm going to go for a jog, because they couldn't prevent me from working out. And I'd go run across base with this manila folder, and then I'd drop it off at OSI, and then like run back. <laughs> like That's what I did every Friday. Like That's how it... So that, that way, because as, as I discovered, um, the 10th Communication Squadron at the Academy has access to anything you use on the internet, which is how they found out that I was using a dating website when I was 19, right? 
Um, so OSI wanted to make sure that none of this stuff was being tracked because OSI works above the chain of command. That's the purpose of them. And so they can do these investigations above the chain of command, above the three-star general. And they don't want all these academy leaders finding about the investigations against their own cadets, never mind their own football team. So if you look at it from that perspective, they are doing the right thing. They are trying to go after criminal action at the academies. They're trying to prevent these kids from commissioning. But what they didn't know later on, which is things I failed to discuss in previous podcasts because I didn't want to piss off the grad community, is that football is a giant moneymaker at the academy. They make more money off of football than anything else. And when you start going after the money, that's when things start happening, right? And I was completely unaware of this, right? Like because I, I didn't care. Like, I was just there to commission, go fly planes, and go kill terrorists, right? Theoretically. So, it just goes into 2009, and I'm getting ready to go to Marine Corps Officer Candidate School. And my next-door roommate is like, hey, we're going to go uh, up to a party in Fort Collins. And I was actually allowed to leave that weekend. I was of age. I was over the age of 21 at this time. And... I'm like, wait, real college party? And you guys just want me to drive you back from the Fort Collins Marathon? Like, because they were going to go to a party and they were going to go run the marathon the next day. I'm like, yeah, I'll go. That sounds like a good idea. Just trying to be social, trying to be cool with everyone in the squad. So we go up to Fort Collins and we go to this random house party. And it was like a scene out of American Pie. You know, like there's like fucking beer kegs getting rolled down the street. You know, attractive women everywhere. This house party's off the fucking channels. Like, there's like slip and slides outside with plastic tarp and like, you know, fucking soapy water everywhere and like chicks in bikinis. I'm like, this is great. I, why did I go to the Air Force Academy? I don't know. I should have went to normal college. Um, so I go, <laughs> I go to this, I go to this party and I don't know anyone there. And uh, this girl hands me this drink and. I was 225 pounds at the time. You know, I know my drinking abilities. I, I'm Irish as a background, so it takes a lot for me to, to, to get drunk. But I take like three sips of this stuff, and about like 20 minutes later, I don't remember fucking anything, which is like very uncommon. And I remember this specifically because um, I wake up the next morning, and I'm in some random fucking dorm room. I have no idea where the fuck I am. My phone's dead. My friends, my so-called friends, left me there. And it's Sunday, and I'm supposed to be back by, like, 10 a.m. for formation. And it's, like, almost 10, and I'm like, shit, this is, like, a two-and-a-half-hour drive back to the academy. I'm not going to make it. So I, I immediately realized something was wrong, though, because my clothes are off. Everything down below looked like I got hit with 60-grit sandpaper. Something, something happened. Like, I have the worst headache I've ever had in my life. And, like, this isn't, like, oh, I'm hungover headache. This is, like, somebody hit me in the head with a baseball bat hangover. And I'm like, this doesn't seem right. So I literally go to a Denny's and I drink like an entire pot of coffee. I try to eat something and put something in my stomach. This is like my EMT brain kicking in. Like just try to absorb whatever's in your stomach, you know, whatever. And I find my truck, which is like five blocks down the road. And I charge my phone enough. I call my commander who hates me. And I'm like, hey, sir, just let you know that uh, I overslept. And you know, I didn't tell him what happened, obviously, at the time. And I'm going to be late. He's like, of course you're going to be late. The one weekend I let you leave and you fucked this up. And I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so I eventually go back to the academy and I, yeah, I try to tell him what happened. And he's like, there's no way that a 225 pound rugby player got raped. You're lying. You're just doing this to get yourself out of trouble. And like I said, this is 2009, right? So, you know, male on male or 
female on male sexual assault isn't really a thing back then, even though it's actually way more prevalent in the military than people understand. It just doesn't get reported as much. So because I knew my commander was going to try to screw me, I immediately file an unrestricted report with the Sexual Assault Coordination uh, Center at the Air Force Academy. And I report it to my uh, Air Force OSI handlers. And I file a police report with Colorado State University Police Department. So I tried to do all the right things, man. Like I, I made the report. I called the correct um, adjudicating authorities on it. And this is like one of the biggest mistakes I made. And this is what I try to coach cadets on now is I gave full jurisdiction of my case back to the Air Force. And I didn't allow the civilian entities to finish the investigation, which I had every right to because it happened off base in a different county that was controlled by civilian authorities. And to be fair, Detective Adam Smith at the time at Colorado State University was super awesome. He actually found the person who did it uh, and backtrack a little bit. This woman also stole my Air Force Academy class ring. Um, they actually ended up finding out this girl was like a habitual offender. She'd go to parties and like stalk military guys. Like it ended up being like this whole thing. But they're just like, well, you gave jurisdiction back to the Air Force, so we can't arrest her. We can't charge her. We can't do anything. That's all up to the Air Force, right? Now the Air Force is going to go arrest a civilian, right? So they're just like, hey, man, sorry, there's nothing we can do. So uh, we're sorry about what happened to you, but we have your back when it comes to your commander and your chain of command. And I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me, right? Because my commander doesn't believe me. The superintendent doesn't believe me. The commandant doesn't believe anything that happened. They just thought you were just some cadet who went out and got drunk and didn't want to get in trouble. So you filed the sexual assault report, which is bullshit. And unfortunately, the sad part is a lot of that still happens today. It's why a lot of women and men are afraid to report at the academy because they report. And even the most recent case with this girl, there was physical evidence. She got raped. She had the physical evidence, went to a civilian hospital, got the pictures, got everything done, got the DNA test done. And the guy was still found not guilty because she gave jurisdiction back to the Air Force. Right. And if, she, if they just left the prosecution with the civilian side, they would have put that kid in jail for a long period of time. And this is something I coach Academy kids on constantly. Report to the FBI, report to the county sheriff's office, never allow the Air Force to take control of your case because the institution is more important than the individual and they will do whatever it takes to protect the institution and the Air Force and the name of the Air Force Academy over you because you are not important. You are replaceable and you're just a number. And I come back and, you know, the commandant, uh, the vice, oh, sorry, the vice superintendent, some colonel calls me into his office because I'm literally on the getting ready to get on a plane to go to Marine Officer Candidate School. And he's like, I don't know what the fuck happened with you, Dorito, up there at CSU, but she called the Air Force Academy and said, like, she's pregnant and all this other shit. And I'm just like, yeah, none of that, none of that's true. Like, it, all, this is all just made up. She's a stalker. So she ended up getting banned from base by security forces. Like, even the Air Force kicked her, like, banned her from coming on base because she would, like, sit on base and, like, wait for me to get out of class. Like, she was absolutely out of her mind. So... Um, I go to Marine officer candidate school and I'm like, finally, I get to take like eight weeks or six weeks. It was, and just like get out of the Academy and go do something really in the, in the, uh, in the military. And man, Marine officer candidate school was an eye opening experience. It was like, Oh, this is what the real military is like. Cause like I've been in the air force Academy for like almost three years. So like, I know how to march. I know how to do stuff. No, no, I didn't. No, I did not. Uh, I showed up there and I'm the only, no, there was another Air Force Academy guy there with me, and he tried to distance himself from me as much as possible, because he's like, Dorito, you just have a name, and everyone knows who you are. <laughs> like, I just don't want to be associated with you in the Air Force. But I don't blame you, man. Like, you're good. So, I show up, and I'm, I'm with a Gulf Company 4th Platoon, and they have every, all the candidates stand in a circle, and the gunnery sergeants, and the cool thing was, is all the gunnery sergeants and sergeant instructors 
they're all like E7s and above. And most of them have combat experience. Like most of these guys came like from like Fallujah and like 05. You know what I mean? So this is like their staff duty tour. So they just hate everyone and everything. And I loved it because I didn't have this experience at the Air Force Academy. I'm like, oh, these guys are like no shit jacked as fuck and want to murder me every five seconds. Like this is what I joined the military for. And they, they're going around the entire uh, squad bay and they're like, give us your institution, like what college you're from and what your degree is at. <laughs> so you got all these like NROTC kids and all these like prior enlisted Marines. Like I'm, you know, I go to the University of Maryland, biology. And they're like, all right, next. And then the company commander and the first sergeant and the sergeant instructors get to me and they're like, Dorito. <laughs> What university here you come from? And I'm like, y USAFA. And they're like, what the fuck is USAFA? And I'm just like trying to be a smart ass because I think I'm funny. And I'm like, the University of Sciences and Fine Arts Academy. And like, Gunnery Sergeant Clay looks down at his paper and he's like, U-S-A-F-A. -A. Wait a minute. You're that fucking academy guy. <laughs> I'm just like, shit. They they immediately take my fucking footlocker and they fucking throw it off the fucking outdoor company deck into the fucking mud. And they're like, start low crawling right now, facing the mud. I'm like, God damn it. And they're like, congratulations, Dorito. You are now in charge of the company. Like, you are the company commander, candidate company commander. I'm like, fuck me in the ass. So... <laughs> I have no idea how anything works in the actual military, right? Like, I don't know how, what a fire team is. I don't know what even a company is because the Air Force has different, like, so at the Air Force Academy, as long as your cadets are doing what they're supposed to do, they, you just leave them alone. And like, yeah, that's not how leadership works in the Marine Corps. Like, you have to literally hold everyone by the hand and, and do all these things. And I, I learned what leadership was the hard way. And they, they're like, you failed this week in your leadership peer review, so you're getting kicked out. You have to go see Colonel Mancini, who's the battalion commander for OCS. Now, this is like a colonel who, like, literally scared the crap out of me. Like, he, he reminded me of, like, Mel Gibson and, like, We Were Soldiers. Like, you just walk in, you're like, I don't, I don't even know what this guy, how many people this guy's killed. You know what I mean? And you go in there, and they sit me down with the battalion uh, sergeant major and the battalion uh, commander, Colonel Mancini, and... The, the first sergeant, his name was, at the time, was, he was a master sergeant, Master Sergeant Sandercock. And for anyone who looks up like old Marine Corps recruiting videos, Gunnery Sergeant Sandercock, this guy is the most insane, out of his mind, screaming, yelling, motivating person I've ever met in the Marine Corps. And they're just in my face screaming at me for 45 minutes. Like, I don't deserve to be a Marine. I'm a worthless piece of shit. I'm an Air Force wannabe. Like, I'm going to get kicked out. So they, uh, they send me back to the squad bay. And Gunner Sergeant Clay and Gunner Sergeant Alessio come find me like, hey, uh, Colonel Mancini made his decision. You're getting kicked out. You're done. Pack your shit. I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's it. I'm going back to the Air Force Academy and I'm never going to hear the end of this. So they, I pack my duffel bag and I get in a van and they drive me all the way to Ronald Reagan Airport, like International Airport. Keep in mind, I don't have DTS. I don't have a plane ticket. Nothing. <laughs> I'm just doing what I'm told. All right. <laughs> and I get there and Gunner Sergeant Alessio and Gunner Sergeant Clay, like they turn around and they go, he opens up his flip phone. He's like, Roger that, sir. We'll tell him. Can of Dorito. I'm like, yeah. They're like the Colonel changed his mind. He's giving you another chance. I'm like, what the fuck is going on right now? <laughs> they drive me all the way back to OCS. When everyone thinks I got kicked out, they had me unpack my stuff. They said, on one condition, you're now the battalion candidate company commander. You're in charge of OCS now. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. So, <laughs> but the thing is, you put me under pressure, I actually react better, right? So that's one thing I've learned about myself over the years. So I, I immediately got back and 
um, we're going on our six mile uh, ruck march, I think it was, and they had me running around the circle like they just, I mean, they just beat the crap out of me. They were just trying to get me to quit so bad. And uh, Gunner Sergeant Lesio was like, Trito, are you a Blue Falcon? And I'm just like thinking, I'm like, Blue Falcon. I'm like, Air Force Academy mascot is a Falcon. Yes. To be blue. This, this candidate is a Blue Falcon. He's like, what? And I'm like, this candidate is a Blue Falcon. He's like, what the fuck did you just say? He's like, start running satellites. And I just start running around the entire OCS battalion <laughs> on their six-mile ruck march yelling, this candidate is a Blue Falcon for like a solid 90 minutes or something like that. So like my six-mile ruck march ended up being probably 12. And I get back to the squad bay, and, and uh, one of the prior enlisted Marines, who was an E-7 going through OCS, his name was Gunnar Sergeant Snyder, comes up to me. He's like, Dorito, I don't think you're a bad guy, but I, I do think you're genuinely stupid. He's like, you just spent the last like several hours running around the entire battalion at OCS saying that you were a buddy fucker. And I'm just like, oh, <sighs> damn it. He's like, all right, man, look, you obviously are. He's like, all the other quit. services you know what that means. That yeah, I, except the Air Force kids, right? So right. they're like, obviously, you want to be here, and you're trying. You're not a shitbag. You're just, you just don't know. Like, you, you just you have no idea what you're doing. He's like, I'm going to help you out. So Gunnar Sergeant Snyder, bless his heart, like, he's probably a fucking major at this point. But he, uh, he coached me through. He helped me learn all the Marine stuff, learn the terminology, you know, learn to memorize the shooting uh, tables and everything else, and... Uh, all the tactics and everything else, all the infantry stuff. And I ended up graduating OCS with like a 99.8% average, which is like, even even Colonel Mancini is like, there's no fucking way that you got this high. Because I started maxing all my tests, PT, everything else. Like I just, I want to be here. I want to be a Marine. And uh, we, I, I'll never forget this story either. So we get to the final review. It's the parade review where Colonel Mancini comes to each individual candidate and tells you if you're going to graduate or not. And you're on the parade deck with your M16. It's like 115 degrees out there in Quantico, Virginia. You're sweating your balls off. And of course, I fucked this up because I'm an idiot. So <laughs> they, they no, So Master Sergeant Sandercock and Colonel Mancini to do a right face. They face me. And you do your, you know, your rifle, rifle presentation, right? So you, you snap it to parade, you know, the parade position. You snap the bolt open. You punch the rifle up in the air so that the battalion OCS commander can inspect your rifle. And as I did that, my front sight post hit the cover of Colonel Mancini's hat and threw it into the wind. And it just catches this gust of wind and just starts flying down the blacktop. And I just see in the background, I'm trying to keep a straight face. I'm like, I, that's it. Like, my life is over. And I see, I see Gunner Sergeant Clay and Gunner Sergeant Alessio standing on the other side of the parade deck. And there's this little tree on the side of the blacktop. And they're just punching it mercilessly until, like, their knuckles are bleeding. And they're just, like, mouthing, like, I'm going to fucking kill you when we get back to the squad bay. <laughs> and Curlman sees this, just like a badass, just turns and goes, oh, Dorito. He's like, congratulations, Dorito. You're going to graduate and be a Marine officer. And he just snaps to his left and carries on without his cover like nothing happened. <laughs> and Gunner Sergeant Sandercock just looks at me and just shakes his head and just like, I have nothing to say to you. I have nothing to say to you. <laughs> you <know>? like, <laughs> so I graduate Marine OCS and obviously I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because I'm like, I was really proud of myself by far, even to this day, probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And... And, and I won. Like I, To me, like I won. I beat the academy. I'm going to be a Marine officer. I'm going to be a naval aviator. I just have to go back to the academy and survive my last two semesters. That's it. So like basically, I was the only person at OCS who didn't get his second lieutenant bars. 
because I had to go back to the academy and finish up my degree. So I go back to the academy and, uh, you know, I really wanted nothing to do with OSI at this point because like, I just, I just need to keep my head down and graduate at this point, try to be the gray man as much as that wasn't a phrase in my vocabulary being Dorito at the Air Force Academy. <laughs> and, uh, this is kind of interesting. So I show up back to the Air Force Academy in uh, like end of August, 2009. And there was a swine flu outbreak. So I couldn't actually report directly back to the academy because uh, they were quarantining the entire base. And ironically, they don't consider Marine Officer Candidate School a leadership credit. And you need a leadership credit to graduate your summer program. So they made me come back to be a drill instructor for cadet basic training. Right out of Marine OCS. Now, all my Air Force <laughs> uniforms are in my room, you know, I... And so I show up, I'm like 25 pounds lighter. I got like a super sweet high and tight right down to a skin fade, which I never wore my hair like that in the Air Force. And uh, I'm walking across the terrazzo to pick up my Air Force uniforms because they were assigning me to go to the prep school. And this is important for my story, but they were going to assign me to be a, a drill instructor cadre for the prep school on the other side of base, which is where we were doing a lot of the investigations prior with OSI. So... I'm walking across the terrazzo and all these kids are in processing for basic training for like the class of 2015 or 14 or whatever it was. And I see this kid in a flight suit and he's got these stupid like pit viper rainbow like sunglasses on and like the Marine Corps in me just like snaps. I start knife handing this guy and yelling at him across the terrazzo like, hey, you're in a fucking basic training environment. Take off the fucking sunglasses, you know, and that person thought I was an officer because of the way I was yelling and like how I was carrying myself. And I, I walk closer and it's a colonel. <laughs> in the Air Force. And I'm just, and he's like, Dorito, get in my fucking office right now. And I'm like, damn it. And I get dragged into this office and he's like, look, I know about you. Your, your name's all over this place. He's like, I know you just got back from Reno CS. I know you think you're fucking hot shit, but you're back at the Air Force Academy now. And I swear to God, if you ever call out an officer like that from across Toronto, like your time here is done. I was like, Roger that, sir. So he said, go get your uniforms and get over to prep school. You're not supposed to be here because of the quarantine stuff. So I'm like, all right. So I go grab my Air Force uniforms. I go over to the prep school. And man, I just like the Marine Corps just didn't shut off. So like I ran these kids into the ground. I ran them every day and they were in the best shape of their lives when they graduated, uh, prep school basic training for sure at any of the other squads. And I was hard on them, but it was a great experience. And I really appreciated my experience being cadre there. But the interesting thing was, and this is like where I kind of screwed myself in a way was I told those kids, I'm like, Hey, because I was still working for OSI, you know, I told them my experience with sexual assault at the Academy and how leadership really doesn't support you. But I said, Hey, if something comes up when you're at the prep school and you guys are trying to get ready to go to the Air Force Academy, just reach out to me. Shoot me an email. Here's my phone number. You know, I, I could take care of it for you or, or try to give you some advice. And it was, I think, September or October of 2009. And I get an email from one of these cadet candidates, and, or not an email, phone call. And they said, hey, sir, I know I'm not supposed to be talking to you because this is technically considered fraternization or whatever, but, you know, I'm at a hotel in Denver. I'm drunk and I think I just got raped. And I'm like, shit. And she's like, I'm too afraid to call my chain of command because I know I'm going to get in trouble because we're underage drinking. We're not even supposed to be off base. Like we're OTF or we call the over the fence. So I call OSI and I call the sapper office and I say, this is what's going on. And keep in mind, they should have taken jurisdiction of this case at that point in time. And they didn't. And they were just like, all right, go get her. I'm like, okay. So I go jump in my car or my truck and I go, I'm like, I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me the story. I don't want to get involved any, I'm just getting you back and I'm going to drop you off at the sapper office. I don't want to know what happened. This is up to them. And, uh, they never should have let me do that. They should have hundred percent 
OSI should have went and got her or whatever else it was. And they didn't. Um, but this is how they ran things back then in 2009. So I get her back to the academy and I drop her off at the Sapper office and she's got a victim advocate there and everything else. And I thought that was the end of it. So I kind of remained distant from OSI because I, I go home for Christmas. I come back and it's like February of 2010, right? And it's hundreds night. And I find out, yes, I got, and even your commander doesn't know what your assignment is going to be. So a hundred days out from graduation, there's this big ceremony and you get a sealed envelope from the secretary of the air force stating what your assignment is going to be when you graduate. And my commander's like, you're never going to fucking get Marine OCS or you're never going to be a Marine officer. You're going to be stuck in the air force. Fuck you. I'm like, okay, his name is Lieutenant Colonel Christensen. And even to this day, I despise this man with all intensity. He is what's wrong with the TOD by far. And I open up my envelope and I pull it out and it's got this giant seal of the Marine Corps Eagle Globe and anchor on it. And I just, I literally did the, the scene from what, uh, half-baked. I was like, or waiting. I was like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. Fuck you. I'm out, right? And I'm just like, and he was so mad that I got my assignment to the Marine Corps. Like, he was so unbelievably pissed. And I'm like, I just got to keep my head low for 100 days. That's it. And I'm out of here. And I report to TBS and I'm or the basic school for the Marine Corps. And then I go to flight school and I'm done. And uh, two weeks later, shit you not, I get called into my commander's office again. And he's like, hey, you need to go talk to OSI. I'm like, oh, here we go again. So I thought it was because I'd been ignoring OSI, uh, you know, because I, I really don't want to work for them anymore. I'm like, I just want to graduate, guys. Like, I don't want any involvement in this stuff anymore. So I go down there and they're like, hey, man, so like you kind of been out of the uh, ether for a while. Like, what's going on? And uh, I, I tell them what's been going on. I told them what happened at the prep school. And like, yeah, well, we needed more information on that. And oh, hey, by the way, all those kids got called in for questioning by their commander, and that commander now wants to charge you with fraternization for interacting with the with the lower classmen at the prep school. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, well, we we got your back. We're gonna we're gonna talk to the superintendent. Like, you've been working for us for two years. Like, we'll let him know. So I go to this uh, review board for this. They're trying to give me an Article 15 for fraternization. This is like what now? It's like three weeks out from graduation, like end of April, whatever it is, going into May. <laughs> and even my former commanders, like the Army AOC, which I didn't really talk about. You can listen to my other podcast if you want to hear anything about uh, Major Hubank. But he even comes in in full dress greens, and he's just like, yeah, Cadet Trudeau's not a perfect cadet, but he's my cadet, and this guy's going to go in the Marine Corps. I don't know what you guys are so worried about. And here's another crazy part, which has never happened since. Even my OSI handler came in, Agent Munson, and was like, yeah, Cadet Dorito's good. He deserves to graduate. He deserves a commission. We don't know what this is about. Just give him his Article 15 slap on his wrist and call it good, right? Because... At the end of the day, with an Article 15, you're not admitting to guilt. You're just accepting punishment in lieu of uh, UCMJ proceedings, right? And with all the hearsay and everything that was going on with this whole frat, like, did you talk? Do you, were you interacting and talking with lower classmen? Technically, yes, right? So, you know, for them, it's like frat is frat, whether you're, whether you're talking to them or having sex with them or whatever else it is, which is not, not accurate. So, if you're ever getting charged with Article 15, you know you didn't do anything, uh, request trial by court-martial. Because if I requested trial by court-martial, there's no way these clowns would be able to prove anything because there's no evidence to anything that happened. So I take my Article 15 for frat, and they're going to give me 30 days late grad. So 30 days after graduation, they give me my commission, and I'd walk. I'm like, fine, I'll take that. What's another 30 days at the academy? So graduation comes up, and they make me sit in the stands with my family, which is like the most, like three hours before graduation, they're like, you're not walking. I'm like, that's fucking awesome. So I sit in the stands with my family. It was like the most embarrassing day of my life by far. 
and I sit there and I take my 30 days of punishment from the Article 15, and I'm like, all right, I'm ready to commission. A superintendent calls me into his office, Lieutenant General Michael Gould, and he goes, I changed my mind. I'm pulling everything from you. You're not commissioning. You're done. <clears throat> here's, a, here's a bill for $280,000, too, while you're at it, since you owe us back for your degree. Oh, we're not giving you your degree but either. So not only did they take all my money from my Article 15, uh, they didn't give me my commission. They withheld my degree. They threw me out on the highway in I-25. They escorted me out there with a canine unit. Uh, it, was, it was a joke. It was an absolute clown show. And what am I going to do? I'm like, what, 22 years old at the time? I have no money. I don't know what to do. I have no lawyer. So I get thrown off a of base. And then uh, a couple months later, one of my good friends at the academy who's in my classes, he took his own life as a commissioned officer. And he was getting buried at the Air Force Academy. So I requested permission to go to his funeral. And the same cops that escorted me off base uh, the day that I left met me at the gate. And like, hey, I just want to let you know, General Gould is trying to embarrass you. He wants us to like basically treat you like Hannibal Lecter with guns at each side, fully uniformed with a canine unit and escort you to this funeral. But we're not going to do that, man, because we heard about your story and we think it's bullshit. So they, they went to the Goodwill down the street and bought a bunch of like shitty suits. <laughs> and then they put these like civilian, they put these civilian clothes on and drove me in an unmarked vehicle to the funeral. And uh, I stood at his gravesite and we, we buried Colin and you could even see the superintendent and the dean and the commandant were there and they looked at me and they're like, God damn it, he's here. And these security forces guys are wearing civilian clothes, not supposed to be. Um, and they banned me from base for like seven years after that, saying I was like a threat to the base. I'm like, okay. So I go into the civilian world, right? And I start working as a personal trainer. The only thing I knew how to do was work out. So I start working as a personal trainer at a gym. I start making a little bit of money. And then I meet this guy named Matt Greifey, who was a Fallujah veteran in the Marines. He just got his law license done. He just got out of the Marine Corps. And he's like, hey, man, your case is bullshit. And I'm just starting up my practice. So how about this? I'll trade you hours if you trade me personal training hours. And I'm like, awesome. So I start, yeah, so I start uh, helping him out with his VA disability stuff. And then he starts giving me hours and he starts going through my case. Like, dude, your case is completely bullshit. Like they violated every single one of your constitutional rights. You didn't have a lawyer. Like everything they're doing here is wrong. So we start working on my case and we do our first board of corrections and military records and it gets rejected saying we don't care. Uh, you kick rocks. So 2015 rolls around and I still have, or 2014 rolls around and I, I go on, uh, the news with the Colorado Springs Gazette talking about my case. And then I come to find out that Operation Gridiron was expanded even after I was removed from the academy, 30 days post-graduation. I find out that I was not the only informant. I find out there was several other informants. I find out that Operation Gridiron was much more widespread. And all those uh, OSI agents that I used to work with, they got sent to like Kazakhstan and one of them got sent to F.E. Warren Air Force Base. Like the OSI detachment apparently got disbanded because this started involving the football team, right? And General Gould was trying to cover this up because all these guys were playing in the Mountain West Conference football championship, and he, didn't, he wanted to make sure they could still play football. So people can look it up. His name is Jamil Cooks and Claxton were the two guys that were, we were trying to convict. And they got convicted after the football game, of course. And the other, like, 28 of them got away with it. So only two of them got kicked out. Uh, they still went to another Division I school, played NCAA football, and they ended up getting recruited to play in the NFL, even though they were convicted sex offenders, because apparently it is not illegal if you're a convicted sex offender to play in the NFL or any other Division I sport. It's, it's nuts, right? So all the work that we did was getting thrown out because the Air Force Academy was trying to cover it up. So I'm like, all right, I got to find a way to serve my time out because I had this 200 something thousand dollar thing on my credit report. So active duty Air Force, Army, Marines, like, 
Dude, your DD-214 is signed by like the Secretary of the Air Force. I don't know who you pissed off, but you have an RE, RE4 code, which is you can never serve in the military unless it's like a draft. And on top of that, I have a general discharge under honorable conditions, which makes no sense. Why am I getting an RE4 code with a general under honorable? It doesn't make any sense. Like I, I was never convicted of anything. My criminal background is clean, which I've even posted on my website. People don't believe me. Um, so I, I give it one more shot. So I go into the National Guard's office. And they're like, it was kind of weird. And it ironically, I ended up deploying with my recruiter on this last deployment, <laughs> which was just like uh, the stars align kind of thing. And he goes, are you that kid that was on the news like last year against the Air Force <laughs> Academy? And he's like, I know this sounds really fucking weird, but we were always hoping that you're going to come in and talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> so he pulls out... He pulls, he pulls out this fucking, like, it was like a scene out of, like, Harry Potter, right? He pulls out this book and, like, brushes the dust off of it. And he's like, there's this rule in here that states you can join the National Guard and override any federal DD-214 because the commander-in-chief of the National Guard is the governor, not the president of the United States. So you don't, you don't, so they found an exemption for me to get in without a waiver. And we had to call, like, Hickenlooper's office. And at the time, it was Governor Hickenlooper, and now he's a senator. And he pretty much, they gave me, you can join the National Guard, but here's your condition. Now, keep in mind, I went back to school at this time. I got another degree done. I even finished my master's degree. Uh, even after the personal trainings, I was working in the oil and gas industry, which is how I was able to you know, fund all these lawyers. And I had three conditions I had to meet. One, I had to agree to go in as a specialist. That was the highest rank they could put me in on. I'm like, all right, fine. Uh, rule number two was I, could, I had to go into a special operations unit. So I had to pick one, uh, the one special operations unit that's in the National Guard, and I can say this now because I'm, I'm transitioning units, but it was the 19 Special Forces Group. I'm like, okay. And there's one or two jobs I could have picked, and it was like parachute rigger or generator mechanic. And I already jumped out of planes at the academy, like, parachutes sound fun, let's do that. So I picked parachute rigger, and then they're like, okay, but here's the thing, you had a three-year break in service, so you have to go back to Army basic training and start all over again. I'm like, oh, you've <laughs> got to be kidding me. <laughs> So going through the Air Force Academy and Marine OCS, and now I'm like, what, 27 at the time, going through fucking Army basic training. And I show up there at like 27 years old. All the drill instructors are my age. Actually, one of them even deployed with one of my best friends from high school, which is hilarious. Um, and I show up there, and they're like, you work for CID. And I'm like, no, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm actually here to serve my country, Sergeant. They're like, no, you're fucking not. We already, like, we, we Googled you. Dorito, yeah, Air Force OSI, undercover informant. Like, you're totally working for CID. It's like, here's the, thing, here's the thing, Dorito. You leave us alone, and we'll leave you alone. Just help these kids get through basic training. We're not even going to talk for the next, like, 13 weeks. Just, just do it. I'm like, okay. And I think to this day, I still think they, I, they still believe that I work for CID. So... Basic training was great. It was a cakewalk. It was basically just a giant workout session. I go to AIT. I finish rigor school. I come back. I get back to 19th group and, you know, same thing. Like, this kid works for CID. Why is he a 27-year-old specialist? What the fuck is wrong with this guy? And uh, I do two years in 19th group and everything's great. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm just doing my job, packing shoes and jumping out of planes, right? Slapping green berets on the ass and kicking them out of planes or helicopters. And uh, they're like, all right, you know what, Dorito, you can, go, you can go apply to go commission again. So I find a slot to go fly Apaches in the Utah National Guard as a warrant officer. And I'm like, finally, if I can just commission, I can move on with my life. Like everything's going to go great. My packet's filled out. I'm down at Carson. I'm getting my last thing to get my orders to go to Rucker. And I get to the final station like, hey, man, we can't sign off on your shit. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, there's several major psychological conditions listed in your medical records. I'm like, what are you talking about? And shit you not, 
In 2011, one year after I left the academy as a civilian, a random doctor who I never met, her name is Dr. Chris Nicole Henley Price, with my commander at the time, Lieutenant Colonel Christensen, put into my medical records that I had several major psychological issues uh, that prevented me from flying or commissioning. Do you ever put a complaint and in against this like, doctor? Well, if you want these changed, you have to go to the Air Yeah, and the, uh, the American Psychological Association refused to do anything about it. They refused to revoke her license because she falls under military standards, so they can't control her. Um, at the time, she was even operating without a license. Now, in the state of Colorado, which is interesting because in the military, it doesn't really matter because you're, even if you have a license in like, I think Georgia or Florida, whatever it is where she came from, you don't have to have a license to operate in Colorado because you're operating on a military base. However, that changes if the person you're doing things against is a civilian. So my biggest argument was in 2011, when I wasn't even in the fucking military, and when I wasn't even on that base, this civilian doctor put in things into my military mental health records when I wasn't even in the military. So my biggest complaint was she wasn't legally and ethically allowed to do that. And I put another Air Force Board of Corrections military records, and that's when I, uh, I put my beret on and my full uniform. It's past a seven-year barment <laughs> from the Air Force Academy. It's 2017 now, right? So exactly seven years from the day. I show up to the Air Force Academy. Now, and this is no offense to the Air Force, but they're kind of dumb. Uh, red berets in the Air Force are special operations. <laughs> and I'm wearing a maroon beret <laughs> in the like Army, which just means paratrooper, right? <laughs> yeah, so they thought I was like some... <laughs> Yeah, they let me walk right, shit you not, new superintendent, new chain of command, they have no idea who I am anymore. And I walk straight into the superintendent's office and give them a letter from my lawyer saying, I want $750,000, I want my medical records corrected, and if you don't, I'm going public with this. And uh, they pretty much say, go kick rocks, good luck. And we file a, a federal lawsuit in 10th District Court. Uh, we went to the Air Force Board of Corrections and Military Records, and they didn't reply to us until 2019, but we didn't know about that because the Air Force was intentionally hiding it from us, which we'll talk about. So we go through the whole process. 10th District Court even comes back and says, your constitutional rights are violated, you know, but we're setting this up, you know, we're going to dismiss this without prejudice because the Air Force is claiming that there's another administrative process you have to go through. So since you haven't exhausted all administrative processes, you can't sue us. Right, And this is also when the Sergeant First Class Stay School Act was passed in 2019, which says you can sue for medical malpractice, right? So we decided to do both at the same time. We filed a lawsuit within the military system for medical malpractice, and then we also continued this lawsuit to the 10th District Court of Appeals. So by 2020, uh, Chief Justice Bremer comes down and says, you guys need to go to mediation, which is unheard of, right? And I could talk about this now because it's not, you know, there's no gag order on it anymore, but... I sit down in mediation with the district attorney's office representing the Air Force, and they're like, well, what do you want? I'm like, I want back pay. I want my degree. I want my medical records changed, and I want my commission back. And they're just like, no. I'm like, okay, I don't care about the money. Money doesn't mean anything to me. I'm like, I want my medical records corrected, and I want my degree back from the academy. And they're like, no. I'm like, all right, how about you just correct my medical records? And they're just like, no. So even though, even though you can see the, the stenotyper person, the person taking notes in the mediation, like looks and goes, what the hell? You guys, are, you're giving them a deal. I even offered to send a non-disclosure agreement saying I would never discuss this wow. case outside and they anymore. Shot themselves in the and they said one. no. They said no to all of this. And I'm just like, I, it, it doesn't make any sense. Now, looking back on it, it's, if they ever admit fault, this opens the door to anyone right? Who has the same complaints. So that's when I started the dark saber podcast. I started talking to other people. I started going through my case. I went on Andy stump. Um, 
uh, cleared hot podcast, which I didn't really mention the football stuff, which I kind of regret, which we discussed prior to this. But you know, I started going public with the stuff, and then I start finding out that there's other cadets and there's other people, and they start talking to me about their rape cases and their harassment issues. And then I find out that pretty much anyone who's complained about sexual assault, harassment, or rape at the academy has some way or another had their mental health records changed or modified, which makes it almost impossible for anyone without financial resources to fight in an Air Force Board of Corrections military records, and they just give up and move into their parents' basement, turn into an alcoholic, or kill themselves. And that's what's horrible. So that's what's been motivating me to you know, start the Darksaber uh, project it, for the past few years now, is because this isn't just me. This isn't just Adam Dorito fighting the Air Force Academy because he pissed off a couple people and did some you know, incorrect things like refusing to take off his, you know, Eagle Globe and anchor uh, or, you know, making fun of his lieutenant colonel commander at 22 years old, right? Like not saying that was the best decision-making process back then, <laughs> but, you know, I wasn't a perfect cadet, but I didn't do anything that deserved what they did to me. So the funny thing is we go to the next uh, adjudication point, you know, the last point for the um, 10th District Court of Appeals and the Air Force comes back and says, well, oh, we don't know why he's suing us. And the 10th District Court of Appeals like, what are you talking about? Like, well, he, he won his board. What is he complaining about? We, we're going to change his medical records. Magically, over a year after I submitted my Air Force Board of Corrections military records, they come back with a statement from the Air Force Board of Corrections military records in 2019 stating that there was an error or an injustice and your medical records should be changed. But we're not giving you back your degree and you still owe us $280,000. <laughs> so they tell the 10th District Court basically like he has no right to sue us anymore this case is null and void because he technically won we don't know why he's suing us and if he wants any additional changes to be made he has to refile for the Air Force Board of Corrections and military records again so and what people don't know is that even if you win your case and you win your medical board the secretary of that respective service has to sign off on it the secretary of the Air Force never signed off on my board even though I won it so even though I won my board in 2020 and it's been three years they never signed off on it and now they're making me reapply to the next Board of Corrections military records again. So the problem is, is that even though they have these checks and balances and I've gone to Congress and I've gone to President Biden myself and the SecDef and all these other things is that the military is operating as the fourth branch of government and they're the ones making all the decisions no matter what, it's still stuck in their system. And even under the Sergeant First Class State School Act, I had to interview with the Air Force JAG about their own medical malpractice. And if you think that the Air Force JAG is ever going to hold the Air Force accountable for medical malpractice, like you're out of your mind. Not a single one of those medical malpractice cases has been adjudicated, even though that law was passed in 2017, right? So this goes into, I think, how we kind of linked up is that I came, I, I went on a combat deployment after that. So I volunteered uh, to go overseas with the 3157 Field Artillery Battery HIMARS unit. And I went over there originally as a truck driver, as, a, as an SF support guy. Um, and the second I got into CENTCOM, they're just like, wait a minute, you're like 35 years old and you have a master's degree and work in oil and gas. They're like, uh, we need you to do some analysis. And the Intel guys out there found me. His name is Sergeant Immer and uh, First Lieutenant Kraft. They're like, you have way more experience in some of the stuff than we do. So I get dragged into the talk. I start working in the talk. You know, there's a lot of uh, hesitancy towards that because, you know, people Google me and I'm either some <laughs> pedophile rapist that the Air Force claims that I am or I'm this guy that's all over the news all the time. And I, I did my work and they, they ended up trusting me and did some amazing work with them, got a bunch of awards out of it, uh, got to work with some really cool counter ISIS missions and anti-Iranian stuff out there with oil and gas and, and water purification, things like that. So I come back from deployment everything's uh, green check marks across the board. I'm going to put my direct commission packet in again uh, when I was working with a different uh, special operations uh, team out there. And uh, I'm like, you know what? Screw this. 
I am just going to go straight to Congress on this one. I, now I have enough street cred. I have enough ribbons. I have enough awards. I have a combat deployment. Obviously, everything the Air Force has said about me is not true. Let's just so I, I contact the lobbyist I've been working with over the past few years. Or her name is Lindsay Rowland. And I go to D.C. in full dress blues. I start knocking on doors. And I have several meetings, uh, anywhere from Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren's office all the way to Tommy Tuberville, uh, all the way down to Van Orden's office and Matt Gates and everyone else, right? Like across the board, I don't believe this is a bipartisan issue, Democrat or Republican. And people are just like, wait, we can't believe that this even happened to you. Like, how is this a thing? We thought we legislated this out, like with all these reforms we've been doing. I'm like, well, the way they're circumventing it is they put it into the language that even though, you know, medical malpractice is a thing, that has to be reviewed by the DOD and the DOD is not reviewing it and they're not honoring any of these changes, which is something I think we're also seeing with the COVID-19 issues is that, oh, you got discharged because of COVID-19. Well, just go to the Army or the Air Force or the Navy Board of Corrections and Military Records and in two years, we'll figure something out. That's unbelievable because we know that's never going to get resolved, right? So this is, they, they keep this bureaucratic you know, administrative process at a never ending circus so that service members never get justice, not only for COVID-19 reparations, but also for sexual assault, rape, military sexual trauma, any of these things. So we decided that we wanted to come up with something called the Dorito Act, basically where we can go into any situation involving sexual assault and harassment, making it specific to my case and say that all these cases must be adjudicated outside of the DOD by an independent civilian controlling agency and that no federal service academy or military entity can retaliate against somebody and change their mental health records for reporting sexual assault and harassment. And ironically, that is not illegal in the current UCMJ. It is not illegal to change somebody's men mental health records or medical records, which not only we've seen with the Vanessa Guillen case and all these other countless sexual assault cases that have never gotten resolved and no justice whatsoever, but also we see with the COVID-19 stuff, right? Um, you're affecting tens of thousands of service members uh, for life over this. And for what? Most of people like me join the military for good reasons, right? They wanted to serve their country. You know, they wanted to defend freedom and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. But I think one thing I've realized over the past several years now is that sometimes those domestic enemies are within our own ranks. And, you know, one of the reasons I stay in is to hold those people accountable. I don't need the military anymore. You know, I have a very good civilian job. I'm very happy where I am. I have my own house. I have my own land. I don't need the military for anything or benefits whatsoever. I stay in because I see how the younger guys are being treated. And I see that some of the leadership that we have left after the COVID-19 situation in particular is that the best of the worst are in charge of our military. And unless you have people standing up to them who aren't afraid of rank, because I'm not, I mean, I'm a specialist yelling at three stars at this point. And what I've proven is that as long as you're using the administrative process, as long as you're going through all the right channels, they can't, they can't do anything. You know, even when I went to Congress, like, did I get my chewed out, ass chewed out for it? Yeah. But you know what happened? Nothing. Because I did the right things. I, I went through all the channels in my chain of command. I deployed. I went to my congressman. I went to the 10th district court. I went to the president of the United States. And at the end of the day, they didn't do anything to fix my case. So you, you don't leave me any choice than to go to my, you know, my representatives and demand change in legislation to override military laws and override the judicial branch and the executive branch. That's, that's the only way we're going to get change. And is it still going to be several years so this gets resolved? Probably. But you know, I'm willing to put in the time and the effort to fight because I put so much time and effort into this. This isn't a lost cost fallacy to me. This isn't like, oh, I keep sinking money into this and I'm, I'm never going to get any result out of it. I, I believe that the team that I work with is so close to implementing real change that, you know, it's just, 
the reason we get so much resistance from it is because the people in power, the powers that be, Secretary of the Air Force and whatever else and the academies, they are so afraid of us actually succeeding because if we succeed, this legislation means that they're going to be held accountable and they could be criminally prosecuted. And, and that's where we are now. It's at the end of the day, it's, I'm still going to wear the uniform. I'm still going to serve as long as my you know, feet and ankles hold up to airborne operations. And they let me stay in, so to speak. But um, someone needs to, to teach the younger generations coming in, Generation Z and below, that you know, part of Title 10 is to stand up and do the right thing. It is, you are obligated by Title 10 to report you know, illegal activity within the military chain of command. And people get so surprised that when you actually call them out on those things and actually try to do the right things. And to me, it's just understand your rights, understand the law, understand your constitutional rights. You know, people have this misconception that you join the military and you give up your constitutional rights. That is not true. I mean, granted, the one thing is like, okay, you can't speak out against the president of the United States. Okay, fine. That I understand. But when it comes to your Fourth Amendment rights, your Fourteenth Amendment rights, any of these things, absolutely not. And people need to understand that, you know, we wear the uniform for a reason, and you need to stand by those reasons and make sure that everyone else around you understands that. And just and rank doesn't matter. If they're doing something illegal, you need to make sure you follow up with your chain of command and you make sure you're doing the right thing. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that was a really long-winded answer, but hopefully no, I did that in less than an hour, which is impressive. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> It's such an honor to talk to you because I mean, you've been in this fight much longer than I have, and and you're hopefully getting legislation changed. This is just wow. Thank you for for all that you've been sacrificing and will continue to sacrifice. Uh, you know, for for guys like me that are already out and guys that are still in and haven't even joined yet. Because if we get if you get this legislation passed, this will be the game changer. If you get criminal prosecution against people doing actual crimes. Who thought that, you know, that, that that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the biggest thing, like I said, is just, we're not asking for anything crazy. We're asking that the constitutional laws that we're entitled to as Americans are followed through within the ranks of our military period and a story. Your rank does not exclude you from doing illegal things against your members, you know? And if we can do these things, if we can show that there's still hope that if you are raped or sexually assaulted, that you actually have recourse, not this bullshit sapper program that the military controls that ends up getting no adjudications and no prosecutions. You know, I look at the Air Force Academy and it has the highest rates of sexual assault and harassment in the U.S. military by population density, yet they've had like two convictions in the past like several years and, and not even actual jail time. You know, it's like, I think one kid got five years, which is like the most in Academy history, but the kid should have been in prison for like 10 plus. You know what I mean? But it's just, you know, the, the academies and their football money-making schemes, you know, for Division One sports is insane. I mean, I don't think most people even know this, but the Air Force Academy football coach is the highest paid DOD employee in the United States. He wow. makes over $850,000 for a mediocre Division One football team. Wow. I mean, they were like 8-0 for a while, and then I think like... Two weeks ago, they lost to Army, which is ranked like 127. It's like, but if you put any of these divisions, like if you put the Air Force Academy up against like any legitimate like Division One team like Alabama, they'd lose in 15 seconds. You know, like the purpose of our Federal Service Academies is to produce officers of character that are capable of leading men and women into combat and winning our nation's wars. It is not to play football or, or basketball or hockey or anything else, right? And, you know, if people always ask me, like, if you could, if you were, if you could be God for a day, what would you change that would fix these situations? I'm like, Easy. Number one, I would derank all of our Division One sports at Naval Academy, West Point, and Air Force because uh, Merchant Marine and Coast Guard are already D three. 
I would put everything at D2 or below. You could still play sports. Sports are important. You know, it's a great part of camaraderie and officership, but it shouldn't be the main focus of why you're going to an academy, right? We need to take the focus off of sports. Uh, number two is that I would demand that if you get accepted an appointment to an academy is that you have to serve at least one year prior enlisted before accepting your appointment. Because I really think humbling you as a private or as an airman and, or as a, you know, a seaman or whatever they're called in the Navy, um, as a lower enlisted person working a shit job in the military, you understand to respect the people that you are going to lead in the future, right? And there would be an exemption for people who are already prior enlisted applying to the academies, right? So make it a five-year program mandatory, not just four, you know? And on top of that is make academics a focus, right? They always say that they're academically focused, but at the end of the day, most of these kids end up cheating on their tests. That's why there's so many cheating scandals because they're so focused on trying to pass and not get kicked out. They're not focusing actually on learning and becoming philosophical officers and understanding the human aspect of war, whether it's military strategic studies or understanding the human mind or understanding what leadership really is. You're just getting shoved through these academies, taking courses you don't need to take about like physics and astrophysics when you don't even want to be an engineer, right? And you're so focused on passing and getting through the academy versus actually become an educated officer with an education that can be applied later on. So we don't have people making bad decisions in the future, you know, and that goes for Millie, right? And that goes for uh, all the other previous leaders we've had. I mean, maybe with the exception of General Mattis, who wasn't even an academy grad, but I mean, you look at like General McChrystal and all these other guys, like a lot of these general officers who end up leading our nation's war in Afghanistan and Iraq for the last 20 years failed. They failed. And I don't care what anyone wants to say about that. Like they obviously failed because they are so glued into the leadership system and being dedicated to the party and purpose and politics that they are, they've lost focus on that. And there's, there's two really great books about that for people who are interested. There's uh, the generals by Tom Ricks, which explains pretty much how our nation's generals have failed since Vietnam when everything turned into the military industrial complex uh, and fighting our nation's wars and, and proxy wars from that. And also there's another book uh, called, uh, uh, what is it called? Man. Man, I forget. It's, uh, you're going to have to edit this out. Damn it. Man, I interviewed him on one of my podcasts, too. Anyway, this, this guy, he... Uh, oh, man, I really can't believe I just screwed that up for you. You're going to have to edit that whole thing out. Um, the cost... Oh, sorry. It's The Cost of Loyalty. So The Cost of Loyalty is written by this West Point professor and who's still teaching there. And he talks about how our federal service academies have ultimately failed and they need to be shut down and reinstituted uh, in the way they are to produce actual officers of character. Because at the end of the day, you're, the American taxpayer is spending over $400,000 know, per cadet to graduate them from, but they're the ones being you know, convicted of crimes and they're the ones losing our nation's wars or committing sexual assault and harassment. And they're not, they're not making our military any better, right? So if our federal service academy is not producing the best officers possible, then why do we have them? You know, and I don't necessarily advocate for shutting down the federal service academies. I think they're important to our, to our culture and our military, but they, nef they definitely need to be put in charge with people who care about our military. Because unfortunately, a lot of the Air Force Academy, West Point guys who come back to be superintendents or commandants, they're just on their way out to get a job at Raytheon or get some other board position so they can retire. And perfect example of that is even the current superintendent of the Air Force Academy, who hasn't played football since the 80s, okay? He's been already given a position in the Mountain West Conference Football Selection Committee as a six-figure job when he graduates as a three-star general. What, what qualifies you to go be a football selection committee guy in the NCAA out of the academy as a three-star general? Like nothing, like you're not qualified to do any of those things. 
you know, it's but because of his rank and position, and he's going to get this nice lucrative job when he gets out. You know, and you know, and his Air Force Academy football team has nothing against like Alabama, you know, or any of these other actual Division One schools. You know, it's a self-serving and it's a self-looking ice cream cone, right? We we should not be encouraging this type of behavior. You know, it's kind of like what even uh, Major Winter says in, in Band of Brothers. You know, the only thing I wanted to do when I, if I made it through this war was to find a quiet piece of land and retire, and and live in peace for the rest of my life. And that's the way a lot of officers should be able to think. Is that you know even George Washington had the same mentality. Is that my time and service is of service to my you know my country and my nation, and it's up to me to be a statesman and a good citizen afterwards, and not to to get involved in the military industrial complex, which Eisenhower talks about in his farewell speech. And I just think that the military war machine. You know, especially with the you know onset of Ukraine and everything going on in Israel right now is a perfect example of like what is wrong with our military and why we need to change that focus and why we need to change that leadership within. Wow, I think you're absolutely right, Adam. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, sorry, on. that was a lot of talking. I didn't let you talk. No, no, I, I, it's <laughs> no. I, I appreciate your time, uh, Dr. Sam. Appreciate that. Yeah, no, thank you so much. It's been great visiting with you beforehand, and then um, learning so much more through the through the show. Uh, just let me, yeah. Let me know how I can help you at all if I can, because I, I like your mission. No, I appreciate that. And for you guys who are interested, or if you need help, or if you have something you know that's going on in your, especially when it comes to sexual assault, harassment, retaliation, you, know, you reach out to me on Instagram. It's Adam Dorito. Twitter is just Adam Dorito. Uh, you can email me darksaberproductions at gmail.com or you can get in contact with my website it's just adamdorito.com you know i'll help out where i can and and get you to the resources you need to uh to fix our military and, and make sure that the leaders that are responsible for our next generation uh, within our military are doing the right things so well thank you adam thanks again Just a reminder for everyone out there, the duty uniform of the day, the full armor of God. Let's all make courage more contagious than fear. Doesn't dinner sound great as it's cooking? This dinner is from Riverbend Ranch, which always provides prime or high choice, has never been given hormones, never been given antibiotics, never been given mRNA vaccines. It's raised in the USA. It's processed in the USA. In fact, it's fully vertically integrated, which means that they own the cow that gives birth to the calf. It's raised on their fields and then taken to their butcher and then ship to you. And if we compare what we can buy from Riverbend Ranch to four other major state companies that sell bundles that have ribeyes and other meat in it, it can be as much as $184 to $59 less expensive. It's a great price value, and it's a delicious piece of meat. Check out mycleanbeef.com slash afterhours. That's mycleanbeef.com slash afterhours. Mycleanbeef.com slash afterhours.